Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Back in the day, some of you might remember, Don Meredith would warble about turning out the lights when the party was over on Monday Night Football. It was cute and campy and corn pone, but people seemed to like it. Decorum prevents us from doing such warbling in this particular space, but yeah, it kind of looks like the lights are indeed starting to dim. Swept by St. Louis, 15 games left now, three games under 500. I do wish the news was better. So want to know what happened last night and talk about happier things? We can do that after this 19-second musical open. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing While coffee is brewing now Here's Josh Lewin Scootily down Alright, so it's not over for the Mets in 2021 But let's just say things aren't completely compassmentous The win over the Cardinals Wednesday night Would have fluffed up our pillows Made us all sit up a little straighter But an 11-4 loss just kind of makes you want to eat a lot of ice cream Josh Lewin with you. We will briefly hit on what happened out at City Field on Wednesday night. I don't know about you. It just feels a little sad to talk about how you, you just had the win of the year against the Yankees on Sunday night baseball. And then you go out and stink things up like a porta potty. Did that Sunday night game really happen? Was that a, a weird mirage? I mean, Lindor, I'm told, hit three home runs, nearly incited a brawl, and the city fell in love with him. But from there, he went two for 10 with four strikeouts. You know, win or lose. I try to look for some sunshine. I will say there are still some things to like down the stretch. I do like the swagger Javi Baez has brought. Since he joined the Mets, Javi Baez is hitting 304, 352 on base percentage, 600 slugging percentage. And those numbers are even better in the 23 games now he's played since coming back from the IL. Dude has absolutely provided the middle of the order right-handed thump that the Mets were looking for when they got him. It is the rest of the lineup that hasn't always complied. When you look back to 2015, when the Mets acquired Yoannis Cespedes at the trade deadline, went from a 500 team to winning the NL pennant, the easy narrative is that it was all Cespedes. And yeah, he was a linchpin, the weird, reclusive, cigarette-smoking-between-innings linchpin. But he had a supporting cast that was deeper than that of Almost Famous. Great movie, by the way. August and September that year, Granderson, Murphy, Flores, Juan Uribe, Kelly Johnson, all did better in those two months than they had for the first four months. And it mattered. And the pitching down the stretch, my God. But overall this year, look at wins above replacement overall. Alonzo, 3.4. Nemo, 3.1, but he's only played in 77 games. VR, 
Bargain, 2.4 wins above replacement. Baez, in only 34 games, has a 1.8. You prorate that over the course of a whole season, that's huge. J.D. Davis has a 1.1. All those hitters, that's acceptable for who they are. But that's five guys. Everyone else is a 1 or 0 or even below 0. Dom Smith has been a minus. Albert Almora Jr., a minus. Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto, basically neutrals. Pitching-wise, Jacob deGrom somehow had a 4.4 war, despite only pitching in 12 games. Marcus Stroman's at 3.2. He's pitched all year. Aaron Loop at 2.4. But again, with the pitching, a bunch of ones and zeros and negative ones follow all that with, I guess, poor Jared Eikhoff stuck at the bottom of the barrel. Here's one way to look at Mets pitching this year. They're going to get as many starts out of Carrasco and Syndergaard combined as they'll have gotten from Jared Eikhoff, Robert Stock, and Joey Lucchese. That is not a path to victory. Guys like Nick Tropiano, Trevor Hildenberger, Jordan Yamamoto, Stephen Tarpley, Akeem Bostic, Stephen Nagosik, Sean Reed Foley, Anthony Banda, Jeff Hartlieb. These men all pitched in key spots at some point of a game in 2021. No offense to all these fine gentlemen, but that is not the way this was drawn up. I look across the field at the Cardinals pitching staff, and mind you, they're not perfect. They still have the highest walk percentage in the majors. That's mostly due to what was going on the first four months, because actually since August 1st, their walk percentage is seventh lowest. And they've got a defense that is first in the majors in defensive runs saved and outs above average. Aha! Aha! They've got that Bermuda Triangle of gold glovers at first base, third base, and catcher. And they stick another gold glove out there as well in left field in Tyler O'Neill. We can sort out later who gets credit for this resurgence. I mean, there are scouts that recommended the new pitchers. There are the executives who signed them up. Or maybe it's coaches that revived them or the actual pitchers themselves. But right now, we're looking at a Cardinals team that had a 2% chance of making the postseason at the end of July. And currently, uh, while they were in this game on Wednesday night, with the second National League wild card ahead of the Reds and the Padres. Cardinals looking to sweep Wednesday night at City Field. Mets rookie Tyler McGill against the veteran lefty and Mets killer John Lester. 37-year-old former Cub has won six straight against the Mets going into this one. Eight and one lifetime against him with an ERA of three. Did lose to the Mets in that 2015 NLCS. But for the Cardinals, 4.3 ERA and eight starts since he came in from Washington. Once upon a time, John Lester was known as a guy who could not throw to first. He had the yips, and he could not hit. He started his career going 0 for 66. But a couple months ago, he had a 419-foot home run, and that was not in Denver. And that was actually the fourth home run for Lester following his 0 for 66 start. So how many members of the 0 for 60-something club have also hit that many home runs? Nobody other than John Lester. It's really pretty interesting. In fact, the only other member of that club in the modern era who ever hit any home runs was Bob Friend, who hit two home runs, not four. That was before a legendary 0 for 76 in uh, the mid-60s. The Mets rolled out a lineup that included McNeil in the eight hole, and you know what? With the pressure off, he nearly hit for the cycle. Single, double, triple. Kevin Pillar had a home run. Pete Alonso hit his 33rd home run, almost hit another. There would have been a three-run shot to make it a game at the midpoint of the night. But Lars Nootbaard, a guy who sounds like a protein supplement, 
robbed him right after he'd been double switched in by their manager Mike Schultz. The Cardinals caught every ball all series, found every hole every time the Mets shifted. They outscored the Mets in the three games 25 to 10. John Lester pitched well. Tyler McGill did not fare as well, allowed 11 base runners in three innings, six earned runs, pushed his ERA up near 4.6. Late in the game, Heath Hembry showed the Mets why the Reds had made him available in the first place. Five hits allowed in his one inning of work as the game started to drift away into the darkness of Corona. You guys know that is the mailing address of the ballpark, right? We always say Flushing Queens. It's actually Corona and always has been. Corona used to be a really nice word. We knew it as a beer and it's that glowing ring around the sun. Now, of course, we all know it as something else entirely, but a terrific lyrical word has been ripped away from all of us and just corrupted these last couple of years. Who would have ever thought the word flushing would be preferable to the word corona? But I digress. 11 of 4, the unhappy final. Again, no need to get into the nasty details. Although 13 hits by the Mets, you'd think that would lead to a win, not a seven run loss. St. Louis had 16 hits, and they're still in pole position for that second wild card spot. So, to close out our remaining time together today, our friends at MLB.com fired up a couple interesting items regarding the world champion 86 Mets. That, in conjunction with the 30 for 30 documentary that we've been raving about. Wanted to share this with you and dive a little deeper than they did. They talked about the what they called the wildest and most memorable on-field moments for the 86 Mets. And remember, the Mets the year before had won 98 games, but the Cardinals won 101. These were the teams that everybody figured would be the, the top contenders for the division again. Actually, the Cardinals kind of sucked, as it turned out, that year. They would bounce back very quickly. But uh, the Mets established right away. In April, they met for the first time. Howard Johnson had a game-tying two-run home in the top of the ninth that just stunned the Cardinals crowd into silence. George Foster won it with a single in the 10th. And the Mets went on to sweep that four-game series in St. Louis early. That was a real jumpstart to their season. Then you go ahead to May 27th. More George Foster. Grand slam off Tom Needenfuhr of the Dodgers to blow it open. And then Needenfuhr threw inside to Ray Knight. Not a good idea. Uh, Knight charged the mound. Somehow nobody was ejected, although Tommy Lasorda went crazy in that one. couple weeks after that, Mets first base coach Bill Robinson shoved Pirates pitcher Rick Roden, and that set off another benches-clearing incident. And don't forget about the scrap between the Mets and the Braves in July. Gary Carter had cleared the bases with a three-run homer. The Braves pitcher David Palmer hit Strawberry in the back, and he charged the mound immediately. Palmer threw his glove at him, which is not, not a great idea either. The 86 Mets, besides fighting a lot, they were just never out of a ball game. And they got clutch contributions all over the place. June 10th, it was Tim Tuffle coming off the bench in the 10th to hit a walk-off grand slam against the Phillies. And at first in that one, it seemed like it was just going to be a sack fly. It just kept carrying. It went over the fence. July 3rd, Strawberry and Knight together. Daryl with a game-tying two-run homer to deep center. into the batter's eye at Shea, bottom of the 10th, and Knight who had struck out in his first four at-bats of that game, followed a little later with a walk-off to left field. And he was waving the ball over the fence as he ran on down to first. So the Mets got to the All-Star break with a 13-and-a-half game lead. Lost a little bit of steam when they dropped three of four to the Astros. That's when they had the four players arrested for fighting with an off-duty police officer at a Houston discotheque. And by the way, the off-duty police officer was looking for trouble. That's a whole other podcast. That road trip continued in Cincy, and after winning game one there, the Mets, you might remember, were down 
in the ninth inning, two outs. Uh, this was game two of that series. Dave Parker dropped the Keith Hernandez fly ball, and that sent the game to extra innings. Knight got involved in another fist fight with Eric Davis at third base this time. That's the game where Davey Johnson had to get creative. He replaced Knight with Roger McDowell, moved Jesse Orozco to the mound, and there was like this uh, weird uh, kind of back-and-forth three-card Monty thing to take uh, Kevin Mitchell's spot out there in right. Ed Hearn came in to catch. Carter moved to third. Only two other times in his career did he ever play an inning at third base. McDowell uh, briefly tried to get into the dugout to get a new glove. Pete Rose was managing the Reds then. He protested the game, saying, you're not allowed to do that. But McDowell and Orozco started switching back and forth from the mound to right field, depending on who was at the plate, left-hand hitter or right-hand hitter. It was a case of hide the pitcher out there. So eventually, the 86 Mets didn't just win the NL East. I mean, they sprinted away from the pack. They led by as many as 22 games. They won it by 21 and a half. Gooden iced the cupcake with a complete game win over the Cubs September 17th to clinch it. So then on to the postseason, which is one of the best Octobers of all time. It's not just what the Mets pulled off in the World Series, but the back-and-forth championship series in both leagues. Uh, the Astros, who gave the Mets so much trouble during the regular season, waiting for them in the NLCS. Mike Scott worked that Astrodome crowd into a froth with a 14-hit, or excuse me, 14-strikeout, five-hit shutout in Game 1. That beat Gooden. And then the Mets able to right the ship in Game 2. They go back for the pivotal Game 3 at Shea. Houston, upper hand early. Mets come roaring back in the sixth with Strawberry hitting that three-run home run to tie it up. Astros go right back on top held the lead into the bottom of the ninth. I think the key to the whole series, Wally Backman starting a rally with a beautiful drag bunt single, went to second on a pass ball. That didn't really matter because Dykstra just jumped on a Dave Smith fastball for a home run that, that rocked Shea Stadium down to the to the rivets. And Mike Scott would shut out the Mets again in Game 4. I think everybody saw that coming, but the Mets had a dramatic answer in Game 5. Great pitcher's duel between Gooden and former Met Nolan Ryan. This was 1-1 in extra innings. Ryan went nine innings. Gooden went 10. Charlie Kerfeld's bad pickoff throw got Wally Backman to second in the bottom of the 12th. The Astros walked Keith Hernandez to bring up Carter, who was 1-for-21, and he bangs a single to give the Mets a 3-2 series lead going back to Houston. All the drama across the first five games, that was just the, the preamble for game six. So Houston with a three-run first inning. Mets could not buy a hit in the first eight innings at all, but they play nine innings, which is a good thing. Dykstra led it off with a pinch hit triple. Mookie singles him home. Keith Hernandez doubles Mookie home. Dave Smith comes on, walks the bases loaded. Knight brings in the tying run with a sack fly. You were hoping for a little bit more, but you take the sack fly. Nobody scored again until the 14th inning when Backman singled home Strawberry, but then Billy Hatcher with that game-tying homer off that little netting that soft netting of their foul pole at the Astrodome. Mets breaking through in the 16th inning, got a wild pitch to get a run in, the RBI singles by Knight and Dykstra. Houston almost rallied back again. Jesse Orozco bore down, struck out Kevin Bass with some expletives from Keith Hernandez egging him on. Uh, 3-2 slider polished it off. 16 memorable innings, and the Mets were NL champions. So the enduring image, of course, of the postseason in 86 is the little dribbler going through Bill Buckner's legs. I get it. But before that, Bruce Hurst shutting down the Mets completely in Game 1, the Tim Tuffle error. Uh, you had the Doc Gooden-Roger Clemens matchup in Game 2. That was a slugfest of all things, and Boston won it. 
So the Mets needed to go on the road and start winning, and they did. And again, this should be a whole other podcast. I won't get through all the details here. I'll just yada, yada, yada to the point where Mookie's ground ball gets through Buckner. Mets also win game seven. So that's your refresher course. But I like the fact that because this documentary is out, everybody's starting to relive moments like that. Hey, uh, two other notes before we say so long. I want to tell you about a 22-year-old man and an 83-year-old man. JT Ginn, right-hand pitcher at High A Brooklyn, one of the top five prospects the Mets have, and a really interesting guy, uh, came out of a Mississippi high school, kind of bet on himself when he chose not to sign with the Dodgers as a first-round pick in 2018. He went back to Mississippi State, had great numbers, uh, or went, actually went to Mississippi State instead. It was SEC Freshman Pitcher of the Year. But then Tommy John surgery, and the Mets still said, you know what, we like this guy. We're going to grab him in the second round, give him a, a big bonus to sign. So a couple days ago, Ginn put together the best start of his young career. Seven shutout innings, seven strikeouts, one walk, retired 16 straight at one point. He's got a 157 ERA in his last 29 innings. Also at Brooklyn, the catching prospect, the 19-year-old Francisco Alvarez, First Mets minor leaguer under the age of 20 with a 20 home run season in nine years. A guy named Adolin Rodriguez, who never did pan out, was the last to do it. But but that battery of Ginn and Alvarez, remember you heard old Uncle Joshy talking about him in the middle of September 21. As for the octogenarian of note, the Mets are, if you haven't heard, naming their Spanish-language radio booth after Juan Alicea, longtime scout and executive and broadcaster, of course, with the Mets, more than 4,000 broadcasts on Spanish radio, which is really impressive. And he's a guy who scouted two of my all-time favorite Mets from back when I was a kid, Lee Mazzilli and Nino Espinosa. And I have no idea why I was so into Nino Espinosa as a nine-year-old. I, I think I just liked the name and the big afro. But uh, Alicea joined the Mets back in 1969, good year to be with the Mets. And he's been on the Spanish-language broadcast since 82. Super nice guy, very cool to give him this honor and it highlights Hispanic Heritage Month announced right around the time all the attention given to Roberto Clemente Day across baseball well done by the Mets big congratulations to Juan now don't forget the Mets are off today but tomorrow we will have a long-form conversation with Luis Rojas and discuss a little bit whether or not he'll be back as well but we're going to get into some of Luis's backstory we don't always know everything about the managers sometimes we just kind of assume that uh hey they must be baseball royalty and that's uh, not quite the case with Luis Roas. he's had to work pretty hard but uh we'll also get into his family tree the Alus, and we'll preview the philly series that that's what's ahead but right now we meet the house band and you'd think nino espinoza would make a cameo but think again because on keyboards it's outfielder chris jones slapping the bass catcher Chris Canazero. The horn section, Gary Templeton. And on drums, Aaron Seeley. This is Josh Lewin. Appreciate you listening. As always, catch you again right here tomorrow. <laughs>